everyone, today we're going to talk about big L notation, which is a concept that I've been developing to describe rates of learning. So the big question is, in the software industry or in the tech industry, we measure, measure engineers by number of years of experience, right? Like, I have five years of experience with JavaScript, I have 30 years of experience with uh, Objective-C or whatever. So hiring according to number of years of experience is kind of harmful, right? Like you can't really judge if how senior or how good someone is by the years of experience. Uh, but I think actually what's worse, if you internalize that to the way that you yourself learn and believe that this is how learning works, that's actually worse because that limits the ability for you to have any ambition of learning faster than the average learner. What really brings it home for me is that, you know, we only have one career where maybe it lasts like 30 to 40 years. And we vaguely hope to get better at coding or better at whatever it is that we do over time. But we don't actually have a model for it. We just like think that with more years, I'll hopefully get a little bit better. The chart of our learning abilities probably approximates something like a log n chart, where like initially it's, it kind of looks linear, like we're going up one year, two years, and, and you, get, you get a very fast pace. And then you level off eventually where you stop learning as much. And I think that's a very normal rate of progress. And so the question is, how can we do better than that? Or how can we avoid doing worse than that? Those are all rates of learning that, that we, can, we can think about applying over our own lives because our number of N is only like 30, 40 years and we don't get that many shots to, to do it. Like we, we don't get to do it over again. Like it's, there's just, there's just one, one game that we're playing and it's an infinite game. Yeah, I like what you said about circling back, um, all circling back to not letting it hold you back because it's something that was really relevant to me when I started my career. I wanted to be a senior engineer because I had so much imposter syndrome that I thought becoming a senior engineer would like cure it, which it did not. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> about a little under two years into my career, I did become a senior engineer because I spent the first year and eight months of my career just deep diving into coding as much as I could. I had no social life. I didn't date. I didn't go out unless it was with my company to build, you know, relationships and friendships there. But it really worked out for me because I achieved this level that people don't get maybe ever in their career, you know, years later on. It was massively beneficial to like not let myself doubt myself. So I really agree with that concept of like, don't let you doubt yourself. Yeah. But I, I also have a have an issue with the label of senior engineer itself. <laughs> me too. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you're done learning. You know what I mean? Like so what? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of levels beyond senior. People get really precious about labels and, uh, you know, let them have that. But I think for our personal growth, uh, we need to always be aware that there's more to do and, and there's better ways to do what we currently do and, and try to work on, work on our process even while we work inside of our process. But we can always borrow ideas from computer algorithms. And that's where I come in and borrow this idea of big O notation, right? So, so most people... Uh, might be aware, but I'm just gonna do a quick refresher. And I went to Wikipedia for this. So in computer science, big O notation is used to classify algorithms according to how their runtime or space requirements grow as the input size grows. So it's, it's a very intuitive thing as you as you write larger and larger programs that run uh, with more and more resources that you run into this, that different programs behave differently based on the algorithms that you pick. And you can pick a bad algorithm and it's gonna perform worse and you can improve it by just changing the algorithm of how it how it processes. I think that's a that's an interesting concept to take to the end that we do have as, as people, as software engineers, which is a number of years of experience. Except in this case, instead of minimizing the amount of resources that we do, we want to maximize the amount of learning that we do. So we want, we want bigger and bigger numbers. So in, in terms of big L notation, you know, so, so you can think about constant time, constant L, which is like L of one, who is basically like some someone who is a one-trick pony. They learn one thing and then they do that thing over and over and over again. 
and they're kind of stuck in a rut or they're unmotivated or, or they're just perfectly happy just doing that. Which I is, think which that was the beginning of my whole coding career. The first, <laughs> definitely Why, the first, so? well, the first several months I just was, you know, I would take tutorials over and over and I would like do Code Academy and I thought I was getting somewhere, but I wasn't pushing myself. And so my output was just terrible. It was the same and mm -hmm. I had no benefits. And then after that, you know, few months that I was doing that same repetition of being like, you know, stuck in a rut and the one trick pony, I had no results. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, why am I not like coding yet? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think this is one of, one of those things where the, you know, that whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule is very popular because he's a really, really good writer. If you put 10,000 hours doing the exact same thing over and over again and not really pushing yourself, that's against the spirit of what he was actually preaching, which is deliberate practice. Like actually pushing your limits and being on the edge <laughs> of your ability. I totally um, did that when I started yeah. out. I had a little journal and I would write down my hours of coding for every tutorial that I did. I eventually <laughs> threw it out. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't keep track anymore. I used to, but I don't keep track anymore. So a little bit better than that, I think is, this is where most people are, which is kind of the lossy learner, which is you do learn things over time. And it's big L of log N, right? Uh, it's a log of the number of years that you learn. So you, you do go up faster and then, and then you sort of slope off uh, as, as, as the number N increases. Here, you're learning new things and you're pushing yourself, but then you're also not retaining things very well, right? There, there, you learn things, you lose things, you learn things, you lose things. And over time, you, you hopefully net learn new things, but it's not really scaling linearly with the number of years. That's fine. That's that's the way like, I think a lot of people who are sort of not really consciously active about their learning do. But you can, we can do we can try to do better. So for example, the next step that I have is L of N, where and this this I describe the infinite learners. And this this means that you learn something new every year and you don't lose it. To be clear, these are ideals. Like obviously that no one remembers everything, but you remember more than most because you have a system to keep it around. When you make a mistake, you have a system and you put some effort into not repeating the mistake. So you actually get better every year linearly with the number of years that you do. And over 40 years, that's a lot better than, than a lot of people. At the pro levels of athletes, like a lot of it is just plugging unforced errors and just like not having them. Watching you leaks in your game as you know, in poker terminology. I think those those are very valuable things uh, to do. And then we have L of N squared, where obviously, you know, this is an ideal, but how do you learn faster the more you learn? So I kind of compare this to like the deep learner where you actually learn how to learn and you, you automate future work, you build mental models that anticipate future needs. So like, even though you're encountering something new for the first time, because you've learned other things before and you've got to mastery stage in those other things, you know to ask the right questions that will eventually get you the answers. You don't know the answers yet, but you know that these are the holes that you typically run into and you just look for them automatic, automatically because you've inferred from prior learning cycles. I think I think the final realization that, that bridges this into the learning public field, in big O notation, you can actually trade off compute resources for space. Like you, with more memory, you can actually optimize your, your algorithms to, to perform faster because you're able to store things in memory as you go along. So for, for a typical algorithm that, that does this is dynamic programming, if you, if you remember from your uh, technical interviews. The equivalent for us as humans is, is basically writing things down more, right? Like having a note-taking system uh, and learning in public and, and sharing it with, uh, with other people. So that's so why I introduced this other idea of like L of P times N. So like you're, you're scaling together with the number of years, but then also with the number of people that you know. And the number of people that you know actually increases your knowledge base because you could just ask your friends if you, uh, if you don't know anything. But I think the other, the other important thing is that I think we also learn by the quality and amount of questions that you ask. As an individual, you don't have that many questions, but if you, if you just constantly answer other people's questions, like you go on Stack Overflow, you go on Reddit and answer other people's questions, you'll learn things that you never thought to ask about before. And you actually learn faster than you would on your own. 
So I think this, that's a very valid way of accelerating your learning faster than you would if your P was equals to one, which is you learning by yourself. You should not learn by yourself because there are all these other P's out there. <laughs> I feel like that's how I learned how to do book launches, just by watching yours and then watching all the videos that you created and then your amazing GitHub resource. When I was launching my book, I didn't, I didn't know how to launch a book. I never launched a book before, but I consciously increased my P by just studying other people. And I think I, st I studied maybe like 10 to, 10 to 12 people. And that gave me experience that I didn't have because I just learned from other, other people's experiences. Yeah, and I appreciate um, so, yeah, it that I learned from you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and now, I'm not, now I have a reusable resource that I can use for my own future projects. So that makes me an infinite learner rather than a lossy learner because I would have forgotten this after I, I did it if I didn't write it down, right? I, I could have just studied it without writing anything down. And that would make me a L of log N learner. And because it's open source, theoretically, if I actually put in more effort into it, other people could contribute and make this a bigger knowledge base. So I'll be able to, to scale it beyond just my own contribution efforts. That's like kind of the pinnacle of where learning public is. I kind of call it in my blog post, like the learning public grand slam, which is um, L, P squared, N squared. So, <laughs> so you're not only like a deep learner, you're also building a learning network. This really comes in together with um, computer science network theory, where the value of a network scales according to the way that connections are made. So Sarnoff's law says that the number of nodes in a network, if they all connect, connect to one central mainframe, then the value of the network is scales by N, the number of nodes. Metcalf's law, where uh, everything is, is connecting independently as a distributed network, net scaling is a, a square of the number of N nodes in the system. And then obviously the, the third law, which, I, which I'm very excited about, it's Reed's law, where each individual group can form subgroups then you're actually scaling at two to the n times. And I have a, I have a little chart that I can uh, drop in the show notes uh, to, to show this off. But that's the reason why Facebook is such a valuable asset because Facebook groups can form as subgroups of Facebook's total membership and the value of Facebook scales as, uh, as a factor of two to, two to the n. So those are, those are things where like if you form a learning community and a learning network around your thing, you actually scale much more beyond your own self. And I think, I think that's a lot of what I try to do with, with my framework communities, like uh, first react and now was felt that I'm doing. So yeah, those are, those are just interesting concepts. Uh, again, these are just ideals. These are, there's some amount of bullshit that's in this. I, I fully acknowledge that, <laughs> but it's undeniable that there are better ideas to learning and better rates of learning for some people than others. And it's totally valid to try to, to do better than we are, than we do today before. So hopefully these, give you ideas. So the call to action is to identify someone that you know who's learning at a high big L. Break down what it is they do according to you know the things that we talked about, whether it's a number of people or they're they're doing deep learning. And then tell them and then apply it to your to yourself. So that's a it's an interesting way to learn how to learn. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>